Take your Bible, if you will, this morning and turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, and uh, we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts. And uh, we are looking this morning, um, title the message, The Gospel is for Everybody. And we're going to look this morning in Acts chapter 10 at an individual, a man by the name of Cornelius. And Bible scholars identify Cornelius, most Bible scholars I would say, as the first Gentile convert to Christianity. Remember that when Christianity started, all the early Christians were Jews. And as we read the book of Acts, that's the audience that Peter preached to and that Paul began to preach to. They preached to Jews and they wanted the Jewish people to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And they kept going out and preaching that message that Jesus is the Messiah. And many Jews came to faith in Christ. Well, Peter, you know, he was the leader of the early apostles. He's, uh, he's going about his business preaching Jesus. But God has a plan. And we're going to be introduced to that plan in Acts chapter 10. And you look there in verse number 1. It says, There was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa, And send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, we're introduced to this man, Cornelius, and the Bible says he was a centurion. Well, uh, what is a centurion? Well, I've done a little research. I'm going to tell you what I found out about centurions. I think we may have an image of a centurion from a reenactor. You know, people like to reenact things, and this is a modern-day reenactor. And uh, this is a centurion. Now, it's cut off. I don't know if you could make it where you can see all of it, if you'd change the... Uh, hand me that right there. I'll get it. Uh, you can't see it. They've got it. Well, my goodness, when you get old, you have to have glasses to see close and far and every which way. But I want you to see his his uh, his hat here. Why? There we go. Wow, that's impressive. Okay. You mean I'm impressive? Or he's impressed? Oh, okay. All right, but if you take a look at his hat right there, uh, one, one thing about his centurion, uh, you had the famous Roman legion. Everybody's heard of the famous Roman legion. And there was somewhere, you know, different historians, but somewhere around 5,000 men, 4,800 from four to 6,000 men in a Roman legion. And each Roman legion, this man right here is a reenactor. That's what a centurion looked like. He was in charge of around 60 to 80 men, and there were about 60 centurions in a Roman legion. They were basically the backbone of a Roman legion. They were not men who 
They were not generals. They didn't stand around in a tent and figure out what we're going to do. When the generals decided what they were going to do, they sent a message out to the centurions, and the centurions led their men into battle. They were not in the rear. They were in the front. As, as, as a matter of fact, many centurions had a very high casualty rate because they were in the very midst of the battle. You'll notice, you think about a Roman soldier, and you might think about that plume that goes you know, this way. Well, notice his goes this way, and that's on purpose. So he would look different. And when the soldiers were in battle, they could easily spot that he was their leader. He was their centurion. Uh, looked up some old... Uh, Roman writings from a Roman historian of that period. This is what he said about a centurion. He said, centurions must be literate, have connections. In other words, kind of like in a military academy, you have to have a letter of recommendation. To be a centurion, you typically had to have someone who would write a letter of recommendation, that you were a person of, of good standing. You had to be at least 30 years of age, and have already served a few years in the military. The centurion in the infantry, and this is from the Roman person of that period, I can't pronounce his name, Vegetius, I believe it is, his writing of the day, he's explaining uh, how they chose centurions. He says the centurion in the infantry is chosen for his size, strength, and dexterity in throwing his missile weapons and for his skill in the use of his sword and shield in short, for his expertness in all the exercises. He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier, and I love this, readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. In other words, they didn't like back talk. We give you something to do. The centurion had to, his only answer was to be, yes, sir. Not, I have a better idea. His answer was to be, right away. He is to be vigilant, temperate, active, and readier to execute the orders he receives than to talk. Strict in exercising and keeping up proper discipline among his soldiers in obliging them to appear clean and well-dressed and to have their arms constantly rubbed and bright. Now, so we get the idea of the centurion of that period and of that day, a little bit of who this man Cornelius was. He was a professional soldier. That's what he did for a living. He was stationed in the capital of the Roman province of Judea, which was Caesarea. That was the capital city. He was stationed there. In essence, he was an occupying power. As you know, Rome was the great empire of the day, and up until that period, no, th that amount of people had never been in the history of the world under one government. And there was something that historians call the Pax Romana, or, or the Roman peace, and the fact that so many people were under one authority and the Roman army uh, kept order in that great empire and roads were built and commerce and industry and trade flourished. And, and, and many people say when you look at the spread of Christianity, Christianity appeared at the exact right time in history. For there to be the ability for Paul to go out and go to all these places that he went and to have the ability to travel and, and, and to do that on roads and, and to have a common language that many people understood. And so we have this centurion, Cornelius, who is a professional soldier. Now, I thought it was interesting, and, and I did a little bit of study about centurions in the Bible. Does anybody want to guess 
How many centurions are mentioned in the New Testament? Cornelius is not the only one. I'm sure you have that information at your fingertips. You know exactly. Well, I didn't know until I studied it. I knew there were several. But it's amazing to me that in the New Testament, there are seven different centurions mentioned. And I just want to introduce you to them very briefly. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher of years gone by, did a great study about these seven centurions in, in the New Testament. And he mentions that all seven of these centurions, remember, these were Roman soldiers, officers, if you will, frontline officers in the Roman army. In, certainly in the Jews' case, they were an occupying army. But it's interesting that in, in the New Testament, every time we're introduced to a centurion in the New Testament, these seven times... It is in a positive light. Never in the New Testament, none of the seven centurions that we're introduced to is, are they spoken of negatively. They're always acting in an honorable fashion. And I want to introduce you to them very quickly. You'll, introduce, you'll remember the very first one, of course, is in Luke uh, chapter 7. And you remember the story about Jesus as He is preaching and there is a centurion, Acts chapter 7, verse 1. It says, When he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, that is to Jesus, pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. They're speaking about the centurion there. And Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So that's the first centurion. He's not named, but he is a centurion. And we see a lot to admire. His faith is, is bragged on and is appreciated even by Jesus himself. And then in the second uh, centurion that we're entered, in, introduced to is, of course, at the crucifixion of Jesus. There was a Roman centurion present at the cross, and many of you will remember uh, that Roman centurion. And we find in Matthew chapter 27, uh, as Jesus is being crucified, you'll remember there was an earthquake and there was darkness there. If I can find it here, Matthew 27. Uh, verse number 54, it says, And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. So we see that second centurion, when he observed what had happened on the cross, he made a reference of his faith. He says, Truly, 
This was the Son of God. And the third centurion is the one that we're talking about today. He is named. His name, of course, is Cornelius. So we're going to get back to him in just a moment. But the fourth centurion in the New Testament, we go all the way to Acts chapter 22. And do you remember when Paul was arrested over in Acts 22 and he was beaten? Someone speaks up for him. Let's look in Acts chapter 22. It says, And they listened to him until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. Basically, there's a riot going on. And the Jews are rioting against Paul and, and they're saying this man didn't fit to live. And the Roman commander, he says, bring this, by, bring this guy into the barracks, let's beat him and find out what in the world he has done to make these people so angry at him. He must be some kind of criminal. He must have, have done something terrible. So he orders Paul to be beaten. He says in verse 25, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion... Now, that's not the commander. That's the centurion. Remember, the, the commander, he's sitting in his desk telling people what to do. Who's, who's binding uh, Paul and getting ready to make sure he is beaten? That's the centurion because he's a front-line guy. He's there doing what needs to be done. And so he, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. So that is the fourth centurion. Well, let's move over. There's a fifth and a sixth centurion we're introduced to, a little bit over in Acts chapter 23. And remember, Paul is being sent to uh, Felix. There's a plot against him, and there's a young man who hears the, about the plot. The Jews are going to kill Paul when he's being transferred, and somebody goes and tells the commander, hey, there's a plot to murder this man, Paul. So the commander, he takes action, and verse 23, the commander, he called for two centurions, saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, and go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter in the following manner. So there, uh, the fifth and sixth centurions, we don't know anything about them, other than they were simply instructed with the safety of Paul. When the commander heard about the plot against Paul, he took these two trusted centurions, he said, take, get these men together, and provide an escort, and bring this man safely to Felix. Well, the very last centurion that the Old Testament tells us about is over in Acts chapter 27. And do you remember when the Apostle Paul, he appealed unto Caesar? Remember, he went before the governor. He says, I appeal to Caesar. And the governor says, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Because remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. That was his right. And so Paul is being transferred by ship to Rome. And remember, Paul says... Listen, guys, don't sail. There's going to be bad trouble. We should not sail. But the commander of the boat, I'm paraphrasing for you, save us a little time. He says, hey, it's good weather. Look at the sky. It's beautiful weather. Clear skies. It's great weather for sailing. I say we sail. So the centurion said, okay, we'll sail. And, of course, you know what happened. 
uh, they got into trouble. Verse number 9, And when much time had been sent, and sailing was now dangerous, and because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, he, he says, Man, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster. But verse 11 says, Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Now, if you get to the war, the end of the shipwreck, you know that, that uh, the boat is going down. And in verse number 42, it says, And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. Now, just so you'll know, these soldiers weren't sadists. The reason that was their plan was, do you know what the penalty for a Roman soldier was if a prisoner that he was in charge of escaped? It was death. Normally death by torture. Remember when... Uh, Paul was in prison and, and the earthquake came and, and uh, Paul and Silas were singing in prison and, and the doors opened. And remember, what did the guard do? He looked and he saw the doors were open. It says he took out his sword and prepared to kill himself because he knew, you know, I'm in charge of these prisoners. They've all escaped. It's better for me to take my life mercifully now than to have to pay the penalty of death by torture because I let these prisoners escape. And so that's why the soldiers in that shipwreck, they said, hey, best thing for us to do, some of them are going to swim away and escape. No way we're going to keep them together. Let's kill them all right now while we've got them in our grasp and then we'll all try to get to shore. So that was really the safe thing to do if you were a Roman soldier. And they said, we're going to kill the prisoners. It says, well, let me find my page. And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, this is the last centurion we're introduced to, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So there you have seven different times in Scripture that we are introduced to a centurion. And you'll find in all seven of those instances, I think it's very interesting, and you, 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 I just read them to you, that those centurions are displayed in a positive light. Not in one case is the centurion shown to be devious or shown to be doing something that, that's not right or treating people unfairly. All seven cases, those centurions, they range from Cornelius, who is godly. He's really at the top of the list. He is a man who uh, was a godly man trying to follow God as best he understood how to follow God, but he didn't know about Jesus. And so he is given this vision by the Lord telling him that there is a man named Peter who can give him more information about how to serve God. So God has prepared the heart of Cornelius. He's a centurion. We've talked about that. And he is yearning to serve God. He wants to serve God and he has a vision. God shows him and tells him, you need to get Peter to come speak to you. So God is beginning to prepare the heart of this man, Cornelius, to hear the gospel. But what about Peter? Remember, Peter is a devout Jew. Peter had no intention of preaching to Gentiles. That wasn't what he was comfortable doing. Peter, like most of us, he had a comfort zone. This is how he'd been raised. He'd been raised a Jew, and he planned on being a good Jew when he died. Now, he believed Jesus was the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, to the Jewish people, 
And he was doing his dead level best to make sure that every Jew he could find knew that Jesus was the Messiah and they should trust in him. But he had no heart for the Gentiles. He didn't see that as his responsibility. He didn't see that as his, his job. As a matter of fact, he actually wondered if it wouldn't be a sin to be in the presence of a Gentile. Remember, in the Old Testament law, he wanted to keep himself pure from being around Gentiles. And so that was how he thought. And God is going to have to prepare his heart and change his heart if he's going to be a witness to this Roman soldier named Cornelius. So look there in verse number 9. It says, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, Peter has that vision. Nobody interprets it to him. As a matter of fact, there in verse number 17, it says, Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So God didn't give an interpretation. God gave him a vision. He saw all these unclean things. Remember, Peter was a Jew. I just imagine he saw some hogs rooting around. You know, Jew, Old Testament law says don't eat pork. And I, I'm going to have to brush up on my Old Testament dietary law, but I also think that shellfish is forbidden. So maybe he saw some oysters, which oyster looks bad anyway if you've never eaten one. When the Ukrainians came, it took a long time to convince them to take that first bite of that oyster. I told them, don't look inside of it, just eat it. You'll never, you'll never eat it if you open it up. But shellfish, maybe he saw some oysters, maybe he saw some shrimp. You know, all these forbidden animals that the Old Testament dietary law says, don't eat this animal, this animal's unclean, don't eat it. Well, he sees all these animals let down and a voice from heaven says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember, he was hungry. He was hungry. A lesson there, never go to bed hungry. He was hungry. When he went into that trance and he's thinking about food, he sees all these animals. And, of course, I love Peter's response and, you know, to, to, to maybe give defense a little bit to Peter, not that he necessarily didn't say it was God's voice, it just said a voice from heaven. So, so whether, maybe he didn't know it was the Lord, but he says, Not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. I've never eaten bacon, never had a pork sausage. You know, I mean, I've always followed the dietary laws, and, and I'm not going to start now. I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord spoke back to him and says, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. And Peter wakes up. No doubt, he, he's scratching his head. He said, Boy, that was, that was a weird dream. I know I was hungry. And, you know, I saw all these animals that I know are, are, are not clean to eat and I've never tasted them in my life. And, and, and it seemed the Lord said, I believe it was the Lord, said, kill and eat. 
I didn't understand it. I said, well, I can't do that. These are unclean. I, I, I'm not going to eat these animals. And, and that voice that says what I have cleansed, what God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. And immediately he wakes up. No doubt he's thinking, what, what does that mean? And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. There's a knock at the door. Someone is there to see Peter. So God has prepared the heart of the hearer, this Roman soldier Cornelius, He's prepared the heart of the preacher, of the teller, of the witnesser, and that is Peter. He's, he's the one that God wants to share, but yet Peter doesn't fully understand that yet. And now they come together, they meet. And it says, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him in verse 19, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from, from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the, the, the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you, then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, he gets there and he meets Cornelius. And I just want to read this to you. I want you to see this meeting between... Think about this Roman soldier. Now, I told you a little bit about a centurion. And probably this man had seen battle, no doubt, to be a centurion. He was, he, he, he was, he was a soldier. He was an honorable man, but... He had seen violence, no doubt had done violence upon others in battle. But yet he meets Peter, this fisherman. And I think it's interesting, remember what kind of person Peter was? The centurion we have to think of again as a rough and tumble soldier, an honorable man, an educated man, yes, but a soldier nonetheless. And remember Peter, I've often referred to him as the blue-collar apostle. You want to call Paul the white-collar apostle. You know, Paul was highly educated. Paul was, you know, a, a, a person of, of, of great education, great intellect. What was Peter? Peter was a fisherman. Remember, Peter was the one, when they come to arrest Jesus, he drew a sword and he hacked off the high priest's servant's ear. And as has often been said, and I've often said, we all know he wasn't aiming for the ear. That guy just had quick reflexes. He was aiming for the sea. He was going to cleave him right in two, right, cleave his head right in two. And the guy ducked. You know, so he just got his ear. So you see what kind of man Peter is. Peter, in a way, fits right in with this centurion. Peter is a man of action. He is a man who's, who's ready to fight and die if need be. If that was what he thought Jesus wanted him to do, he'd come to find out later that wasn't the way Jesus wanted him to He did want him to fight, but not in a physical sense. He wanted him to fight in the Spirit. He wanted him to have that same courage he was willing to display in physical violence and spiritual violence to be able to fight against the forces of evil. And so Peter was a man I think Cornelius could identify with and Cornelius was a man I think Peter could identify with. So they meet. It says the following day they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Remember Cornelius has incomplete knowledge. He, he's serving God as best he knows, but he, do, he doesn't know. All he knows is this is, a, this is a holy man in his eyes. This is a man that's been sent to teach me the way of God. So when Peter enters 
Cornelius raised a pagan, no doubt. He just falls at his feet. He thinks maybe Peter's divine. He just falls at his feet and begins to worship and give homage to Peter. And verse 26, but Peter lifted him up. And I, what a picture that, that is. Think about the Apostle Peter, a Jew. And here's this Gentile soldier, this Roman centurion. He, he's on his feet. A man of, of, of great strength, no doubt. A, a, a man who'd fought battles and killed men. He, he's on his feet before Peter. And, and he's humbled before Peter. I just wonder what thoughts maybe went through Peter's mind. I think Peter was a patriotic Jew. And although he knew that Cornelius was kind to the Jewish people and, and had, you know, people loved Cornelius, he, he was a good man as best we know. But yet he was a Roman. And here's this Roman the despised Romans at the feet of Peter. Maybe Peter felt a little, I don't know, satisfaction at that. Maybe his flesh. But no, what happened? The Bible says, Then Peter lifted him up and saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. He, he takes this Roman centurion by the, soldier, by, by, by the shoulder, by the arm, and says, Stand up. Don't kneel before me. I'm a man just like you. It's not me that you must worship. And so the Bible says, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God... And you see, all of a sudden it's hit Peter. He had that vision. This Roman centurion has sent to no doubt somewhere between having that conversation with the centurion's servants and getting there to the centurion's house, he fully understands what that vision was all about. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked then for what reason have you sent for me? And, and, and Cornelius tells him that he'd had a vision. And, and I want to just close here by, by, by reading what Peter began to say to them. Basically, Cornelius says, you know, so I just had a vision. It said, you would tell us what to do. I've been trying to serve God and I want to serve God, but I, I don't really know how. And the vision said that you could tell us how. And perhaps in one of the, in one of the most concise sermons in the New Testament, everybody wants... You know, if you think I've been long-winded, just make a note and email me this text and say, Here, Brother William, look at Peter's sermon. How short it is, how concise, how to the point. It's all included. Only took a few minutes. But this is a wonderful sermon. In these few words that I'm going to read to you, Peter gives the whole gospel. This is the gospel right here without any, any fluff. You know, without any addition or subtraction. Listen to what Peter says. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. 
Him God raised up on the third day and showed Him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us, who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who was ordained by God to be judge of all the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets witness that through His name whoever believes in Him will receive forgiveness of sins. Now that is the Gospel. If you ever wonder, where can I find the Gospel? There's many places to find it. But one of the best places is Acts chapter 10 verse 34 through 43. That is the Gospel in a nutshell. That is Peter talking to these Gentile Christians. And by the way, their heart was open. Their heart was tender. And they were listening. And Peter was preaching about Jesus. And I'm sure that in their heart, their heart is bearing witness with that message saying, yes, yes, that, that's it. And with their heart, they begin to open. They begin to open their heart and an amazing thing happens. The Bible says in verse 44, While Peter was still speaking these words, Have you ever wished God would interrupt the preacher? Don't answer. Well, here's Peter. He's not through, by the way. Don't think Peter was a short-winded preacher. He's got more to come. He planned on saying a whole lot more. But he said that, and the Bible says that God interrupted the sermon with an invitation. Peter wasn't through. He wanted to say more like most preachers, but God was through. And the Bible says while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, that is the Jews, who believed, these were believing Jews, Christian Jews, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they asked him to stay a few days. There Peter preaching the message that Gentiles, Cornelius, this big Roman soldier, all his household, mentions another devout soldier who was there. They were listening. And you know what, God? That's often called in the Bible the Gentile Pentecost. Remember there was a Pentecost uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Uh, that's why it's called Pentecost. It happened on that day of that Jewish feast. They were all upstairs in one accord. In one, Those were all Jews. They were all Jews who were there and the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them and then they went out. But here, this was the first time any of them had ever seen the Holy Spirit fall upon a Gentile. And it's almost like God is confirming that vision He had given Peter and says, listen, I'm, I have accepted these two. They're uncircumcised. They were raised pagan. They never knew me. They don't know the Old Testament. They've been eating bacon and pork chops all their life. But I've chosen them as well. What God has cleansed, don't you call unclean. The message 
in the message today is that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. We must be very careful. We all have a comfort zone. I'm going to confess to you. I've got likes and dislikes. If you get in my truck, here's a good way to find out if you're compatible with somebody. Get in their truck, car, whatever. Well, now I should say get their phone and look at their playlist, their music playlist. Find out their presets. Of course, me and Lloyd, we might have some work to do. Her presets, I get in her car, I start changing, changing the presets. But we all have a comfort zone. People and, and, and things that we like and we feel comfortable around. God is not limited by your comfort zone. God loves everybody. Newsflash. God even loves people I don't like. There's people I don't like. Now I try to love everybody. And you say, how can you love people you don't like? Well, it's a theological distinction. I'll get with you later and explain it to you. Because I'm not really sure myself. It just sounds good. Uh, it makes me feel better about saying I don't like them. You say, well, I love them. I love them. That's a whole sermon there. I'll preach that next time. How can we say we love people we don't like? But anyway, there are people you don't like. People you don't like being around. God loves them. Jesus died for them. And when somebody you don't like comes to Jesus, just as these Gentile converts, Cornelius, this Roman soldier, and by the way, he didn't resign his position in the Roman army after he became a Christian. As far as we know, he continued as a centurion. He continued his service in the Roman army. But my friend, there are people that you don't like, but if they come to Jesus, the gospel is for everybody. It's for everybody. Not just the people I like and not just the people that you like. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are not a respecter of persons. But God, in every nation, across the world, those who hear your voice, and Lord, we know by the witness of Your Word that You are speaking all over the world. You sometimes speak to people in dreams and visions. You speak through Your Word. And God, there are people who perhaps don't have access to Your Word. And we've heard our missionaries talk about how those that they witness to having never read a Bible, having never seen a Bible, but yet have had visions about Jesus. And it opens the door for their witness. And God, we know You were at work and we pray, God, that if we are like Peter and we have a passion for You and a heart for You, but yet somehow our eyes have blinders and we only see certain people, we only see certain things, God, I pray that You will also give us, as Peter, a vision and a revelation of Your love for all people. Lord, that we would be willing to share Your love with any and everybody that we meet knowing, God, that You died for all, that all might come into a saving faith and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to have their sins forgiven and to be a new creation in Christ Jesus, that Your grace is enough to handle any sin and any heart. Lord, we pray if there's one here today that needs to make a decision for You, that they will do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, if you're here this morning, Maybe you've never made a public decision for Jesus. You'd like to come today. The altar is open. Maybe you want to just come and pray. You've got a burden on your heart. We invite you to do that as we stand and sing.